Blog Talk Radio.
House in Washington, D.C. For many of you, this will be mm. your first visit to this historical landmark. Our tour through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady. Mm. Good evening, America. 
This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect. We are at war! That's what I told you! I know you heard what the president said, and if the nigga don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. Blood pressure through your veins, you feel the fear. Who'd have thought that it could happen here? In the land of the free, home of the brave. The year is 95, you're a slave.
them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard. You liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. No, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. Uh, it's you liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard, you liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. No, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. We welcome you to Africa on the Moon. As your host of Africa, it's an honor and a privilege to come to your homes this evening. Where we will speak truth to the powerful and the powerless. We hope we share with you today information so that you can use it as a tool for liberation and to help liberate your people and to help liberate humanity from all of the various forms of oppression. We welcome you on the 27th day of August 2023 to Africa on the moon. Just as a little bit of historical note, we'd like to remind everyone that it was on this day where W.E.B. Du Bois, the great pan Africanist, died in Accra, Ghana in 1963. And on this note, like always, our theme today is Nigeria and Africa. That's our theme. We invite you later on to come and join us by dialing in at 323-679-0841. But at the present time, like always, you know we're going to stand in the seat and we're going to take the heat. As my panelists and analysts define it, they're going to stand behind it. So if we can get started with our party right now, I bring in our political panelists, and for today's program, first we'd like to bring in Brother Haki, who is a member of the African Awareness Association, and welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Haki. 
Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haiki Tomasi Mushoki. Uh, currently, I'm with African Awareness, and, you know, my thing, Brother Africa, is all about institution building. But certainly, I think on our road to building those institutions that we so badly need, I think there's certain, there has to be a realization that there's a certain game to perpetuate in society uh, to the detriment of African people's survival in the society. I think when we talk about these games, these games are in, essentially encoded into institutions. And oftentimes, these games are, are, are played in such a way in which the masses of people don't understand the, not only uh, uh, the, the parameters of the game, but even understand why the games exist in the first place. But it seems to be a, curi- uh, a very peculiar, uh, um, uh, uh, very, very peculiar uh, kind of existence in terms of when you talk about capitalism in the context of game plan, it seems to be uh, endemic in terms of the capitalist system. So I haven't said that, Brother Africa. I wrote somewhere briefly, I, I, I think, to sort of shed light <coughs> on this whole question in terms of a game plan. And I certainly hope this will resonate with people in terms of their thinking when they sit there and observe, you know, various kinds of um, uh, incidences uh, uh, and understand, um, you know, some of the dynamics behind these incidents they are observing. But in the event, Brother Africa, check this out. Now, game theory is an interesting concept in that it seeks to formulate political mechanisms in society that ensures binding agreements among competing interests in society. Typically, the Democratic-Republican duopoly comes to mind. Strategies employed by both political parties seem to embrace policy that is beneficial to both parties while avoiding critical discussion around policy that would undermine the interests of both parties. Stated differently, in John Nash's equilibrium of game theory, both parties adopt a set of strategies such that no player, Democrat or Republican, can improve their payoff by unilaterally changing their strategy. Indeed, payoff is a defining feature of game theory. By political parties working in concert, <clears throat> abiding by rules established by the ruling class, tangible financial rewards ensue with little scrutiny from the general public population. Now, much now, make no mistake, game theory is a uniquely manifestation of capitalism. A concoction where games are encoded into society with the express purpose to deceive the masses, while wealthy elites seamlessly collect <clears throat> the spoils of the game, unbeknownst to the public concerning both the rules or parameters of that game. Now, game theory requires an understanding. The ultimate objective is to acquire tremendous wealth. However, in acquiring that wealth requires <clears throat> guile and deception to eliminate those individuals or groups that could threaten the success of the game. Historically, this has been achieved by disseminating erroneous information, be that disinformation or propaganda, to create narrative to disqualify certain demographics, those who are perceived as a threat to the game from participation. A characteristic role of U.S. history reveals a myriad of examples of exclusion from the game, but two examples illustrate an enduring, an enduring theme that continues to inhibit, inhibit the American consciousness, or should I say, American unconscious. The first example, Dreptomania, was the colonial era belief enslaved Africans fleeing slavery was a sickness. Similar ideas resonate in the 21st century. The profound belief that Africans should endure hardship and not complain is eerily similar to implying there's something mentally wrong with African people. The second example involves social dominism, Darwinism, and the, and the corrupting of the concept. 
human, human civilization processes were changed to incorporate platitudes of inherent worthlessness of working people and ethnic minorities, particularly African people. Now, such individuals or groups born ill-suited to participate equally in the game, in the most general sense, the labor market, were deserving of being exploited and, and, the, and the doing subsequent inequality. Given the inequity of such beliefs in the social movements, opposition to exclusionary axioms, such policies should have been relegated to the dustbin of history. However, it has not. Instead, game theory has emerged as a stronger force. With conservative economists, engineers, and computer specialists heeding the call to advance theory that justifies class domination, inequality, and repression, the tools afforded game theory are much more intricate and wide-ranging. Now more than ever, competing elite economic interests are called upon for greater unity. Under game theory, holding those elites accountable for breaking the rules of the game have not only become sharper, but punishment inflicted much more decisive. In the case of Citigroup, parent company of Citibank, technically a holding company, its business transactions had complicated CIA's drugs operations to destabilize Mexico. Between 2007 and 2012, Citibank authorized $1.3 billion in remittances or transfers of money to Mexico. The remittances, remittances averaged more than $1,500 per transaction. The amount exceeded five times the amount usually sent by families. Under normal business ethics of capitalism, this would, would, would be seen as imprudent or clever. However, in this case, the inflow of capital into Mexico created conditions that reduced the level of desperation among the people. Drug cartels were able to use the money to purchase more businesses, employ more people, giving rise to hope, which is not which is which is not <coughs> good for, for drug sales or the U.S. foreign policy. In addition, Car President Calderon was threatening a war with the drug cartels in Mexico. Under these circumstances, discipline had to be enforced, and as a result, Citibank was fined $100 million by the Department of Justice. Now, Citibank's desire to profit at the expense of the elite's control had to be contested. Uh, game, game theory demands it. In addition, imposing discipline on Citigroup was swift as well. First fined $500 million in 2012 for selling short, stock short and, and collateral debt obligation scheme, which essentially was betting worthless housing stocks with falling value. And 2020, Office of Contro Controller and Currency fined Citigroup $400 million for poor risk management and data governance, same infraction by its subsidiary, Citibank. Citigroup refusal to abide by the least rules of the game saw a marked decrease in its finances. This year alone saw, saw earnings decrease of 21%, credit losses of $1.9 billion, along with sharp declines in investments. Now, no doubt, in some respect, Citigroup's roles or decline is partly a result of overall U.S. economic decline, and that's be very clear on that point. Now, the imposition of imposing discipline on Citigroup did not end with financial retribution, but government domination exasperated by the goal of Citigroup and other big banks to work with the FBI to identify terrorists during the January 6th uprising in Washington, D.C. The House Subcommittee on Representation of the Federal Government subpoenaed Citigroup to, for a refusal to divulge information provided to the FBI on January 6th insurrectionists. Investigations by the House Subcommittee disclosed a Citibank representative was, re was reported to have had participated in emails with the FBI as well as Zoom meetings under the FBI's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, the FCEN. 
Now, under FCEN, the banks and other financial institutions are sanctioned under the Department of Treasury to provide financial and or holdings of individuals or groups suspected or engaged in terrorist activity. Interestingly, interestingly when the FBI uses financial, institu- financial institutions to provide information on individuals and or groups without legal warrants like Black Lives Matter, Antifa, or gay rights groups, the same body Republicans maintain the FBI is an investigative agency and simply doing its job. So in that context, so what is the real motivation of the subcommittee that, that represents government while simultaneously attacking government? Game theory provides some insight. In, in, order to, in order to maintain the status quo where wealth exercise total control of the political process, certain amount of fear is needed to ensure perfect equilibrium where a possibility of a threat to capitalist control compels elites to be on the defensive, which increases their motivation to embrace platitudes or ideas that lead the masses to believe government policy, particularly democratic ideas, are, are, are stealing the, the country from law-abiding white people, eliminating their rights. It's a strictly sound strategy because the more whites embrace slogans, you know, quote, our country is being stolen, the greater the abstraction, the less likely conscientious Republican politicians will speak out or attempt to change policy in a more humane direction. This plays into the grand scheme of grand, of grand scheme of game theory. Now, as the U.S. becomes increasingly authoritarian, the support of white America is key. By financial institutions providing information on the insurrectionists to FBI, making the case that insurrectionists were indeed engaged in activity not supported by the U.S. Constitution, this narrative alone corroborates the criminal intent of the masses gathering on January 6th. The subcommittee were rather to promote the notion these were simply law-abiding white citizens advocating, quote, their country. And drawing a parallel between their country and others, the supposition is clear. All whites should be perceived and treat, treated by law enforcement as law-abiding, while others, ethnic minorities, immigrants from the global south, and gay rights activists should be seen as suspect deserving of FBI scrutiny and vigilance by financial institutions as a viable strategy to monitor America's real enemies. By embracing this narrative, rights are instinctively law-abiding. Uh, the subcommittee is attempting to achieve two objectives. One, to discourage government institutions and private institutions not to monitor white demonstrations or nefarious activities because they're inherently non-threatening. And two, win over whites as a block so as to embrace us versus them paradigm. And embracing us versus them dichotomy increases the odds of support for spreading fascism and authoritarianism in the United States, precisely what the game theory envisions. And with that, Brother Africa, I'll conclude. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we will bring in Brother Moses, who is a member of the D.C. Metro Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa the Moon. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism, the father of scientific socialism, in a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I bear witness that there's 
that women hold up half the their forum for the Equal Rights Amendment, E-R-E-S, and the struggle continues to be to unite the many to defeat the few. The concrete struggle is, is to how to implement Marxism, how to take the ideas and put them into practice. And this has been a struggle that was waged by Engels, Lenin, Stalin, and Mao Zedong successfully as the People's Republic of China is gives gives witness to. And I think the Cuban Revolution is a Marxist revolution and we should we should honor them. I'm in the struggle against Zionism, racism and all forms of sexism and injustice. And I thank you for allowing me to be on the show. Thank you, Brother Moses. Of course we agree that we can unite the many and uh, At this point in time, we'd like to bring in Sister Eleanor, who also is a member of the D.C. Metro Coalition uh, in Solidarity of the Cuban uh, Revolution. Sister Eleanor, are you there? Uh, I think Sister Eleanor is having some difficulties. We'll try to come back a little later. At this point in time, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick station break. The Revolutionary Culture Break, this is Africa on the Move. And when we come back, we're going to make our transition to our first segment of the program, what's going on in your world and community. And we'd like to hear from you as well. If you listen to this program and you'd like to share with us what's going on in your world and the community, please do so by dialing in at 323-679-0841. So we're going to take this Revolutionary Culture Break. We're going to use music as a tool for liberation, and when we come back, we're going to discuss what's going on in your world and the community. This is Brother Africa on Africa on the Moon. Political convention. Talking of your crusades, talking of your nation, and other things too terrible to mention. And you proclaim your Christianity, you proclaim your love of God, you talk of apple pie and mine. I've just got one question, can I want an answer? Tell me, who would Jesus bomb? Maybe Jesus would bomb the Syrians, cause they're not Jews like. Maybe Jesus would bomb the Afghans on some kind of vengeful whim. Maybe Jesus would drive an M1 tank and he would shoot Saddam. Who would Jesus bomb? And on the battleships, I've seen you in the house on the hill. And I've heard you talking about making the world safer and about all the men you have to kill. And you speak so glibly about your civilization and how you have the moral higher ground. While halfway around the world, your explosives smash the buildings, you could only hear the sound. But maybe Jesus would sell landmines and 
phone the plane that killed the kids in Vietnam. Who would Jesus bomb? You shout with confidence as you praise the Lord And you talk about this God you know so well You talk of Armageddon and your final victory When all the evil forces go to hell Well, you just hope you've chosen wisely on the right side of the Lord And when you die, your conscience, it is clear You'd best hope your atom bombs are better than the sword At the time when your reckoning is here in the Bethlehem or just to raise the towns of Timorese. I don't think Jesus would lend money to dictators or drive those SUVs. I don't think Jesus would ever have dropped a single ounce of napalm. Who would Jesus bomb? Jesus bomb. Who would Jesus bomb? Oh, from the Indians, welcome the pilgrims. And to the buffaloes who once ruled a plain Like the vultures circling beneath the dark clouds Looking for the rain Looking for the rain Just like the city that stagger on the coastline in a nation that just can't stand much more Like the forest buried beneath the highway Never had a chance to grow Never had a chance to grow And now it's winter in America Yes, and all of the healers Have been killed Sent away Yeah, but the people know The people know it's winter Winter in America Hoping for 
We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon as your host for the Africa. When the city will take you here, you may not give you what you want, but we do the best to give you what you need. We know that information is a powerful tool that is properly understood and properly used. So we can try to give you information that we use as a tool for liberation. And on that note, we're going to go ahead and make that transition from the opening of the program and introduce our political panelists. The analysts who at this point invite you as well to join us as we discuss what's going on in your world and the community. We can have Brother Hackley lead us off right now in terms of what's going on in his world and the community. The mic is yours, Brother Hackley. <laughs> yeah, Brother Africa. Uh, you know, um, you know. I tell you, one of the things that perturbed me to no end, the uh, treatment that the uh, Ethiopian refugees are receiving, you know, on the borders of Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, is, you know, one of the things is that when we talk about the kind of atrocities, you know, the usual run-of-the-mill kind of atrocities that refugees have to endure, we're talking about, we're talking about, um, um, you know, a, a kind of treatment of, of, uh, of people which is essentially off the scale. This is a situation in which when we talk about human right abuses, we, we essentially have to change our meaning of what it is to be human, what human rights really means. But in any event, for, for the refugees out of Ethiopia, you know, or traveling through Yemen, uh, what's been happening is that uh, essentially this, the Saudi Arabian guards or border guards have been using the refugee, Ethiopian refugees as cannon fodder. Uh, they've been shooting weaponry, uh, uh, mortars, you know, at the at the uh, at the refugees. Now, ironically, you know, you know, when they capture these refugees, uh, they give them a choice between which extremity they want to be shot in. Uh, so it sort of speaks it's, it sort of speaks to a kind of a, a kind of ghouly disposition in terms of the desire to 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 not just to humiliate uh, the refugees out of Ethiopia, uh, but to essentially um, in, in a bizarre kind of sense, just sort of um, uh, eliminate any possibility of, of their humanity whatsoever. Uh, one of the things that you know was very interesting is that when they talked about you know you know these the border guards firing weaponry at the Ethiopian after refugees, a lot of times when they captured these Ethiopian refugees, they would tell them run run very quickly, and when they run, they would receive firing you know weapons and mortars at those individuals as they flee the border of Saudi Arabia. So one has to think, when you think about it in, in terms of a so-called Muslim country, then you think about that kind of inhumanity, then it makes you wonder what kind of Muslims are these people. Uh, indeed, you begin to wonder, you know, to what extent that people actually believe in Islam given their behavior. Uh, so it's, it's so clearly, you know, this, these kind of atrocities, but beholding the Ethiopian refugees is something that's, uh, you know, it's something that has to be addressed. And I'm very pleased that at least on a, on a, on a very superficial level, Human Rights Watch has been, you know, uh, monitoring the situation. Uh, and keep in mind, this situation has been going on since 2004, so this is not new in terms of this barbaric, hor- horrendous treatment of the Ethiopian refugees, you know, at the border of Saudi Arabia. Now, one of the things for the Africa, you know, I think we have to understand when we talk about this, this crisis of refugees, we cannot dismiss the role the Western states play in terms of, the, in terms of fomenting or formulating or certainly fomenting you know, uh, a lot of these, these refugees, and in fact, uh, it's U.S. and Western nations' policies that create the conditions, 
that compel people to leave their country and to escape to achieve a more a more safe a more better life or existence for themselves and for their family. And so, when understanding in terms of the the role that Western states play in terms of creating these conditions, we have to distinguish between the strategies that Western nations use in terms of fomenting war against the the, the people you know in so-called global south. Uh, certainly, one one of the ways in which they, they they use war in terms as an instrument of control is through traditional means. And with tradition, traditional, in other words, we talk about where war is, is is literally declared, or at least the president declares war, uh, declare, declares war. And so you have a situation where you, there's no ambiguity, that you're very clear that this war is a result of you know of, of you know of, of you know presidential power, and that there is no uh, there's no room for ambiguity that you understand clearly where this whole focus on war is coming from. Now, but the bigger aspect in terms of using, using war to, uh, uh, to destabilize African countries has not to do with terms of the asymmetric warfare. And unlike traditional warfare, asymmetric warfare is warfare is conducted in a much more, much more uh, subtle kind of way. Uh, it's con- it's, it's, it's war is fought in a way in which the, 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 uh, the strategies are concealed. Uh, for instance, one of the things when we talk about, often we talk about the IMF in terms of, you know, how you use you know, the monetary system to undermine the economies of African states. And certainly that's, some, that's one thing, that's one way in which they do it. But militarily speaking, one of the ways in which in terms of undermining uh, African sovereignty, in, in fact, ensuring that Africa remains divided, uh, marginalized, and subjugated, is that they use a, a, they use a strategy in which under the guise of, you know, promoting stability for the African states, they're actually behind the scene not not promote stability, but on the contrary, they promote instability. This instability is promoted by, in fact, creating creating adversaries or creating individuals who are funded, you know, by Western states to carry out missions against the, the reigning state that's in positions of power. Uh, and not only do they, they provide resources in terms of money, but also provide weaponry, and logistics for these individuals. Uh, a couple of years back, uh, the, the uh, official uh, uh, foreign minister, Dio, revealed, uh, he, he's a, the official of, of Mali, he revealed in terms of um, uh, French strategy, one of the things they would do, aside from grappling weaponry and, 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 and finances you know, to so-called, uh, so-called terrorists you know, in, in Mali, uh, they would also provide these so-called terrorists, right away terrorists that they created, they provide these terrorists with, with, with logistics. They would tell them exactly where to strike and where the, 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 the Mali military is the weakest. And so as a consequence, these so-called terrorists are very, very effective in terms of raising hell in Mali because they have inside information in which they know precisely where Mali military troops are not stationed, and, uh, and therefore they can, they can impose strikes on the civilians uh, without, without fear of being caught. And this kind of strategy is rampant throughout Africa. It's not just in Mali, but it's just that the Mali foreign minister was the one who first exposed you know, this kind of treachery that's happening in terms of re- regard to U.S. foreign policy. Also, interesting too, when you talked about, you know, when he talked about, you know, uh, the uh, the kind of um, these kind of subtle strategies which are, which are geared toward undermining African stability, he talked about the fact that within the last three years, over five coups took place in West Africa. And it's very interesting that these five coups that took place in West Africa over the last three years, uh, it's interesting that these coups are all, all, are all headed by individuals who were trained and supported by Western states. Is that a coincidence? 
I don't think so. I think this is part and parcel in terms of, terms of the, the, the overall strategy in terms of ensuring the destabilization of, of Africa. Now, one of the things we have to understand that when we talk about destabilization of Africa and we talk about this large influx of refugees, you know, throughout the world, keep in mind this this is a strategy, uh, this this U.S. strategy is a strategy that's employed not just in Africa but throughout the world. And as a result, direct direct result of U.S. and Western states. Uh, interventions, be they military or otherwise, in these states, the result has been the outflow of you know millions and millions of refugees. In Syria, there's over six. It's been reported over 6.5 million refugees in Syria. In Ukraine, it's been reported over 5.7 million refugees. In Afghanistan, over 5.7 million refugees. In Venezuela, 5.4 refugees, 5.4 million refugees. In South Sudan, 2.2 million refugees. So when we talk about these, this, 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 this large uh, influx of, of refugees, you know, uh, throughout the world, it all can be traced directly to U.S. Western, U.S. or Western states intervention, military or otherwise, in, in these countries. And so it seems to me that if we're sincere in terms of putting an end to refugees, if we really hate refugees so much, then it seems to me then we have to have a movement in terms of, you know, systematically demanding that the U.S. end is foreign policy which is geared toward the destabilization of these societies, which creates these refugees in the first place. Whether or not we are willing to acknowledge, you know, U.S. complicity in terms of fomenting, you know, this, this influx of refugees is another question. But if we're sincere about ending this, if we're so-called concerned about too many refugees here, then it seems to me that we need to address the cause behind the influx of refugees. And if we can do that, then we can end our refugee problem, as some people put it. So with that, Brother Africa, I conclude. Thank you, Brother Haki. And most, most certainly to have weaponized confusion all over the world. So um, thank you, Brother Haki. We now we'll go to Brother Moses. What's going on in your world in the community? Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. Um, certainly the, the, the impeach, the... Um, Indictments of President, ex-President um, Trump is definitely newsworthy. Um, hopefully, the word, the theory of democracy, of, of law, and and uh, the enforcement of law in words and in deeds uh, will be carried out, and there will be um, a new democratic movement within the U.S. of A. The, this pushes for justice, um, and Trump, Trump and his cohorts will be brought to, to, to justice. Uh, the, the situation in Niger, um, a revolutionary situation. Like we have countries want the independence, nations want liberation, and the people want revolution as the main historical trend throughout the world, and that. Uh, um, certainly, the countries of Burkina Faso and Niger and around that area um, are showing that the people want change. They want a better life, and uh, the U.S. government and its Western allies are putting sanctions on these countries, uh, um, stopping them from getting pharmaceuticals and et cetera. And um, you know this is a deplorable situation, uh, and um, 
but the the main trend in the world is is for revolution and uh people are waking up daily hourly and uh hopefully things will change as people get more and more organized. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Just out of north, if you can hear me, please hit one. If you can hear me, please hit one. We'll bring you in, and you can tell us what's going on in your world and community, in the community, just out of north. The mic is yours. Good evening, Brother Africa, fellow panelists and listeners in the United States and abroad. My name is Eleanor Johnson, and I'm delighted to be here this evening. You know, Brother um, Haki really brought up an interesting point, how uh, Saudi Arabia continues to wage war against the people of Yemeni, but with the environmental refugees from the Sahel and uh, how the climate change has impacted Ethiopia so badly. The folks are thought they could seek refuge in, in Saudi Arabia, and instead they're finding that they're being hit with bullets and uh, military weaponry. But a wonderful thing happened yesterday. The struggle continues. Um, Tens of thousands of people descended upon the District of Columbia in uh, advancing the dream. We saw Yolanda King, a 15-year-old activist, as she spoke about gun violence. And as the young woman spoke, there were attacks going on in Florida. Uh, uh, two men and one woman were murdered by a 20-year-old white supremacist who then killed himself. And at the same time in New England, there was a Caribbean festival going on, and uh, seven people were shot. So far, no one has died. And we continue to see the struggle in Tennessee where um, the two young men that were thrown off of the council were reelected and they continue to stand up against gun violence. They continue to stand up uh, as human rights activists and uh, They want to see change come about with this gun violence. And this is a great thing. Uh, Environmental justice was the other thing that the granddaughter of Dr. King spoke about, the importance of protecting the environment. And there were numerous speakers and the attack on our basic rights, whether it's uh, uh, abortion rights, um, whether or not it is voters' rights, um, whether it's 
access to information, etc. And uh, it was just great to see that it wasn't a commemoration, but it was a continuation of the struggle and to see people from across the country. Oh, my. It was a wonderful and great thing. And uh, that's kind of what's going on in my world. And also in Covington to see that uh, people aren't ignoring this gun violence. They're just not going to do it. And in Jackson, Mississippi, the folks in the capital of Mississippi struggle just to have decent drinking water. And because of the predominantly um, African-American city, the descendants of chattel slavery, their concerns, their health, the environment is completely ignored as it is. Um, in Flint, Michigan, even though Flint has been getting a little more action, and uh, we saw the sweeping fires that are the result of global warming. And this week in Iowa, we saw the Republican candidates all deny the fact that this is uh, about global warming and that the issue is even really valid. So we really see that we're fighting uh, truth is fighting um, the absurd, but nonetheless, Truth is having to stand up and uh, make itself heard concerning environmental justice, women's rights, voters' rights, access to education, etc. Thank you for having me on this evening's show, and I'm sure it'll be another exciting show. Thank you. Brother Africa. Yeah, go ahead, Brother Akeith. You know, in, in reference to Brother Moses, something that's very, very interesting has been occurring. I just wonder what Brother Moses may think about it. But, you know, one of the things is that, um, you know, the Republican leadership have done some very strange things. Uh, you would think that people who are all about law and order, who are all about the system, you would think they wouldn't do anything to undermine the, the, the system. Yes, we can. You hear me? Yes, yeah. right. You would think that. Yeah, you would think that you would think that these individuals, uh, you know, who are law and order, who abide by the system, wouldn't do anything to undermine the system. But yet, a very strange, very strange incidents have been occurring in terms of their response to an indictment of Donald Trump. First, uh, Republicans went after the District Attorney of New York, uh, Alvin Bragg. It is 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 very interesting, you know, that they they seek to uh, they would they seek to defund they want to defund him. They were searching, you know, to find out, you know, exactly what kind of uh, uh, access does his office have to federal dollars, and to, reduce, to cut those dollars off to make it difficult for them to to in, to in, to uh, to uh, try Trump. 
that is very, very ironic. When you stop and think about why would these people attempt to decredit the same system they, they claim to love so much. So it gives you some insight in terms of just how, uh, how, how, uh, they, how enamored they are with this whole question in terms of uh, fascism in the society or certainly uh, authoritarianism you know, increasing in the society. These people are not doing anything in terms of trying to slow down, you know, uh, the increase of, uh, of fascism. I mean, fascism and authoritarianism in the society. On the contrary, they're trying to elevate it. Now, aside from, you know, now aside from, you know, Alvin Bragg, district attorney out of New York City, the next they went after Fannie Willis out of uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not a fan of, of Miss Willis. I mean, I think some things she does, I think, is a bit over the top. But certainly, I, I, I think that you know, you know that the the Republicans' uh, desire to do utilize similar kind of strategies to defund her department. They are looking into federal, looking into to, you know, to federal expenditures in the terms of cutting it to make it more possible, much more difficult for her to have the staff she needs in terms of investigating and bringing up a decent uh, charge or uh, trial against Trump. And I find that very, 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 very fascinating. You know that they're willing to they're willing to um, delegitimize a, a intimate a intimate component, you know, uh, you know of the of the so-called uh, union of the United States. In other words, when you talk about this attack on on states, in particular, when you talk about this attack on cities, and, 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 which is an intimate part of the overall system of United States governments governance, when you think about them doing that, then you raise the then raise the question: Just what the hell is going on here? Uh, is is it as coincidental that they chose two African district attorneys to go after, or is that a side issue? Uh, is, it, is the fact that Trump, uh, the fact that they have open, they have been very adamant that Trump responsibility from January 6 did never existed, and therefore no crime has been committed. Is it that their motivation that they that the position is that uh, they going to unilaterally define what what crime is as opposed to letting the you know, criminal criminal justice system run its run its course in terms of establishing whether or not he's guilty or innocent. But either way, it sets a bad, very, a very bad precedent. And I think that we as I think we as a people, I think we got to be particularly concerned when we see these kind of maneuvers uh, you know, to understand the implicit nature of these movements in terms of fomenting or facilitating uh, authoritarianism and, and 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 increasing the expansion of fascism in the society. In that regard, I think we don't have any choice in terms of when they make these kind of moves to understand the implicit threat in terms of what they're doing. And when you talk about people who are connected, people who are connected to the powerful, to the wealthy, uh, we talk about politicians, you know, who bread and butter is determined upon, you know, playing ball. We cannot dismiss the fact that there's a real possibility, there's a very real possibility, you know, that these people receive their guidance from very wealthy, very powerful individuals. And they simply carry they carry out you know, their wishes, their aspirations. Uh, so clearly, it's, it's problematic. So I thought, Brother Moses, he may, if he may want to respond to, what does he think about the implications of these these politicians of, uh, attacking uh, other governmental officials? Okay, um, you know, I guess I could speak in right here. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, your analysis is correct. I think your correct analysis. I mean, there, there is authoritarianism and fascism brewing in the U.S. of A. And these rep- Republican uh, right wingers represent that that force. Uh, they they 
accused the 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 Justice Department of being political, quote unquote. I mean, democracy is a political system. Uh, they want to they want to bring in fascism and and disrupt the the system. Uh, they think that that Trump is above the law. He said he could shoot somebody in New York and get away with it in the middle of the city and get away with it. And he's he's pulled off this January 6th, and he thinks he's going to get away with it. And it's up to us to stop him. Thank you. You know, Brother Haki, in terms of your last point, I would like just to add to it. I find it amazing not only that these Republicans are going after these um, so-called legal entities that are supposed to carry out the so-called structures of certain legal bodies to make certain decisions. I find it interesting how they do all these things and they have really no resistance from their so-called opposition party. It seems like there's collaboration and there's a willingness to, to capitulate with them. I'm talking about the opposition party. It's interesting whenever the so-called Republican Party wants to do something, they use whatever means necessary. But you don't see the same kind of response from the so-called Democratic Party to protect their interests and their voting blocks. So I just find it amazing to see how the other party do whatever they want, and their so-called opposition party step back and they do nothing. Panelists, y'all respond. Yeah, well, well, brother Africa, it's, 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 a, it's a very, it's a very, it's a very um, convoluted situation. Because one of the things is that you know, one of them because we're beholden to, to a large extent to the media, certain information is not going to be is not going to be printed or advertised. So with that, we have to understand. So even if Democrats fought back actively and to to uh, to disclose the the real danger in terms of you know, Republican fascism and, and authoritarian strain. Even if it is so, if the media doesn't report that, it's not likely. If the media reports it, uh, uh, don't report it, then it's highly likely that we won't even know that certain uh, certain Democratic officials did actually stand up and articulate the real the real threat in terms of the Republican position. So that's one of the things. Secondly, I think I think you're I think you're absolutely correct. I I, I think that uh, you know if, if in fact the media is going to play that game in terms of you know controlling the flow of information, then it seems to me that the criminals have to come out with an ingenious way in terms of getting the message out in terms of disapproval of certain you know of, of certain Republican strategies. The mere fact that there has been no instances of Democrat of Democrats standing up and taking unusual steps to articulate their displeasure with, with Republican fascism or, or authoritarianism, the mere fact that it hasn't, hasn't manifested speaks balance in terms of the, to the extent that these parties are cooperating in terms of, you know, uh, you know uh, certain strategies. And earlier when I talked about the fact that when you talk about the theory, game theory and you think about the fact that, you know, the, the idea is for these, 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 these parties to oppose each other ideologically, but we have a situation where they're actually in sync then you don't have two parties, you have one party uh, in effect. Uh, so clearly it's, it is problematic for the Africa, but uh, I haven't seen anything that suggests any type of, uh, I mean, extravagant uh, maneuver on the part of Democrats to get the, pub, get the public aware that the threat, you know, to, the threat, you know, uh, you know, to the society in terms of authoritarianism is, uh, is, is alive and well with respect to Republican uh, uh, antics. So I haven't seen that. So we'll, 
you know, we'll we're, we're see what happens. But I, I agree. I'm, I'm not optimistic that the Democrats are going to create innovative ways to get that message out there because, by and large, it doesn't serve their interest really to get that message out there because if if the focus for them is to is to, to, to enhance their wealth, then the more you play ball, the more you can enhance your wealth. So I don't, I'm not optimistic at all. And other panelists, Moses, I was doing when I kept said at the point that I Yes. Yes, right now, the interest of the, um, the U.S. and the European Union and Great Britain is so out of sync with the nations of the world and the imperialism that you, you you see, you know, just this year alone, we saw uh, the Sitco the um, uh, gas station, 4,000 of them being sold, and three refineries. You know, this is a type of theft, gangster politics, gangster economics and what it is doing is an interesting thing. It's kind of backfiring. It's having uh, uh, people move away from the dollar more rapidly than they may have ever imagined because you cannot, the, the thing that made the U.S. dollar and this imperialism was so great was the security that capitalists could have and keeping their money safe. But now, at a drop of a hat, as Brother Haki said, uh, there will be sanctions uh, against your nation, against your individuals in your country, and your assets just literally stolen, whether it's a plane, whether it's refineries, uh, this, this, continues to be a problem. And um, we see fascism on the move as well as technological advancement. We saw Mohi in India and this great celebration because India actually land on the moon this week. So right now, the struggle for Mother Africa is fighting imperialism, whether it's uh, India, the United States, France, uh, Great Britain, uh, or or China, because China's there with its big checkbook. These, these are the wealthiest nations on the planet, and they're not giving away anything. They have an economic strategy, and that goal is to take the uh, commodities and resources of Mother Africa and of the Global South for nothing, to have a double standard. Do as I say, pay what I say. Um, I will pay you what I will. 
and we see this as just a global phenomenon right now in Nigeria. We still see that the election from last uh, fall is still uh, uh, being disputed, being litigated. But as uh, it appeared in Iowa last week when folks were asked, would they support Donald Trump if he were convicted of the 91 crimes that he uh, allegedly uh, has committed the all, I think, except for one. I may be wrong, it may have been two, said yes. So what they did was really move the whole country further to the right. If these are your alleged candidates, and they're saying that if Trump becomes the candidate for the Republican Party, presidential candidate, that they're going to support him, (coughs) they've already acquiesced and are just trying to line up for, I guess, a vice president's position or something else. But they're definitely not concerned with trying to be the nominee of the Republican Party because they're supporting the presidential candidate, Trump. Okay, Brother Moses, would you like to respond to my question or feel like the Democratic Party would be more complicit with the behavior of the Republican Party? Where do you stand on that position, Brother Moses? Well, I, um, I, I, I um, get Democratic Party um, correspondence, text messages. I'm, I'm not text so much text, but uh, emails, etc. Um, and um, you know, they, they um, been trying to rally people. Um, obviously, they always want money, of course, and uh, they think the answer to the problem is to outspend the Republicans. Basically, that's that's their strategy. Uh, um, but they have been sending the alarm. Uh, Barack Obama, Joe mm-hmm. Biden, uh, Jeffries, all the, the the leadership of the party has been sending an alarm that um, this, that Trump and and um, them represent a threat uh, to democracy. Uh, uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, uh, um, they all. All are conscious of Trump, are, and then that may mean me not 100% conscious, but they are at least conscious uh, that he represents a threat to the to the, the whole democratic process. And I don't I don't think there's any confusion about that uh, per se. Um, I mean, I don't. You I know, find the discussion anyway. I'll leave it there. I find this discussion a lot of this discussion like very interesting. Because I'm not an advocate of either party myself. At all sense of fairness, I don't see too many fundamental differences between the two parties. Um, when Trump is in office versus Biden. I also notice that, you know, it still seems ironic 
if this country is moving and moving to the right, do you truly think it was able to move to the right without the complicity of those called Democrats? Did those forces that taught themselves this solely Republicans only had that kind of power to do that in and by themselves? In terms of media, of course, the Red Party has this influence and media to develop it. If they really want to let you know what they are doing, I don't think they're going to stop them to let the public know what they are doing because they also have their their face in, 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 this, in this media world. Well, I just found it really interesting. You still continue to move and capitulate to the same old game, the two-party system, and they continue to play us. We could play against why they continue to get paid. And it just seemed like, you know, we're going around and around and around to the same musical channel and see how we do the trick. So, next year, Brother Africa. Yes, Brother Haki, I'm listening. Talk to me. Yeah, well, I, I, I think, you know, one thing is when we have these discussions, you know, we, we have to be careful because one thing is that, you know, as you alluded to, when you talk about the fact that Democrats also have a, 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 a media outlet in which they can employ in terms of getting this message out, the mere fact that the mere fact that, you know, assuming mm-hmm. that that, is, that that really exists, and it does, uh, but despite that, then you have the media, mm-hmm. well, well, the information we receive from mainstream media is consistently that the country is going to the right, the country is going to the right, the mm-hmm. going to the right. It doesn't necessarily mean that the country is really going to the right. It means that it's been reported mm-hmm. that the country is going to the right. See, the problem is that if we, if we, if we, mm-hmm. if we, if we, if we believe too deeply, then we allow ourselves to be manipulated by 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 a a, a, a a propagandistic process in terms of wanting us to believe that the country is in fact going to the right, and that's not necessarily maybe the case. Uh, you, you know what I mean? So so you know, but just in terms of systems, I think one of the things that if if if, if you've got a constant drumbeat in terms of the country going to the right, then certainly it's going to have an impact on large numbers of people to the extent that you know uh, that number of people is in dispute. Uh, I think that we have to recognize, you know, that uh, what they're telling us is not necessarily what, in fact, is going on. Uh, whether or not masses of people are, in fact, uh, pro, uh, pro-authoritarian or pro-fascist, uh, you know, we, we really don't know. We only know what the media tells us. And so we've got to be careful in terms of legitimizing some of these expressions that come out, that, you know, that some of these ideas that, come, that emanate, you know, from the media. So it's always a mixed bag when you deal with the media. Uh, it's, it's not always 100% uh, uh, clear across the board in terms of, you know, the, the objectivity of what, what's being presented. So a little bit of common sense plays, goes a long way in terms of sort of deciphering, you know, what is in fact legit and what is in fact questionable. So the question around, you know, if the country moving to the right, I have no doubt, you know, that in terms of as a drumbeat uh by the media in terms of the right-wing drift in the society is, 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 a, is a constantly articulated in the media. I have no doubt that it's going to influence a lot of people. But whether or not to ex- ex- influence them to the extent that they, they, don't real, they don't realize that if, in fact, if the right wins, that authoritarian, authoritarian, uh, uh, authoritarianism will, in fact, be a fact of life, which means it's not in their interest, uh, uh, you know, to allow such a thing to exist. So in event, I said to say that we just we you know there's a lot of gray area in terms of the right the right the media's uh, media's uh, angle when it comes to you know the right wing um, drift of the society. Uh, I'm not dismissing the fact that 
the perception is that it's moving to the right, given all these things that are that are occurring. But then again, that's all a function in terms of perception, what we read, what we see. So some sometimes a common sense analysis is necessary in terms of making sense in terms of information that we receive. And I'll close with that. I hear you, Brother Haki. I'm just raising the issue. I'm just, you know, wondering about this whole question of insanity. We keep doing the same thing over and over again and think we can get different results. And for African people, you need to definitely come more sharper with understanding what is rooted in it to look at. It comes all different sizes and faces. And because one calls himself one name, one calls himself another name, don't mean that we're speaking to the same people with the same intent and the same um, behavior as it relates to African people. And this is what I think we're failing to realize. Uh, you know, we have a tendency to be uh, misguided where one person seems to be more of an enemy to the African than the other, and both of them in the same boat. But anyway, give that as it may. Let me just raise this question with um, panelists in terms of what's going on in this world today, what's going on in your world community. This is the question. Why is the only Trump defendant sitting in jail that is African? His name is Brother Harrison Floyd, who was the former director of the Black Voices for Trump, was the only defendant in the Georgia RICO case to remain in jail. You know, this past week, most of the, all the folks who've been indicted uh, from the four, from Trump faction has, has went in and and did that settlement. None of them end up staying in jail, but his brother. What's up with that? What do we learn from that? There was many reports saying that for some reason or another, there was lawyers who did not want to represent them, or whether or not he had finances to get one. But why is it peculiar? All these people who went and it came out not during no time, and this brother still incarcerated. What lessons can we learn from that, if any, panelists? The mic is open. Well, I'll take it. I'll start it off. Um, you know, I think I, I, I think to define the difference, brother Africa, is that you know when we talk about you know you know uh, a denial of bail for this particular guy, I think a lot of it has to do in terms of the nature of the crime that committed. Trump and his cohorts committed a crime, but it was a more general, much broader kind of crime. Uh, the crime that they committed was specifically against the state. This particular guy, uh, this, 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 this fellow that you talk about, his crime was much more thuggish. In other words, you know, when he approached, you know, when he approached those sisters, in terms of you know compelling them to to state that uh, that uh, political manipulation had taken place, and that the votes really didn't count. When he approached them, it had a much more thuggish character. I think on some level that sort of really alienated, really pissed off a lot of people in Atlanta in the judicial system there. I think that the fact that that thuggish mindset, when you go up and when you, when you take an elderly African woman and you, 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 you threaten, her, threaten her and her daughter like you know, in a manner which is the equivalent of being you know, a thug, I think that it didn't set well with a lot of people. And I think as a consequence, I think people want to use it as a justification to send a message to him in terms of just how how displeased they were with his actions. So I think it comes down to a question. I mean, this is my perception, but I think it comes down to a question in terms of, you know, uh, the the, the nature of the crime. Uh, They acknowledge that uh, Trump and his cohorts committed crimes, but it it doesn't have that intuitive impact. 
unlike you know the thuggish actions of this particular individual who actually approached his grandmother, this grand older old African sister and her daughter, who's in age as well, approached them to intimidate them on in a, in a way in which is reminiscent of you know you know those gangster movies back in the 30s. Uh, so I think it has a lot to do with that. I I I, I think in, in in terms of the power structure, I don't think they take take any heed. I don't think they, they take any. Um, uh, I don't think one way or the other they, they're much concerned in terms of what happens to him. <laughs> I don't think I don't think for him it's a, it's a concern. I mean, he didn't serve his purpose. I mean, his purpose was you know, they use him, you know, uh, in terms of manipulating, you know, uh, the the African masses in terms of support for Donald Trump. So his so his so his usefulness has been served. They have no they don't they could care one way or the other. The kind of dollars that they normally uh, put forth or the kind of bribes they normally partake in terms of you know. Uh, compelling, you know, officials to release individuals have not been forthcoming when it comes to this particular guy. So, I, to a large extent, I think that's because the the power elites understood that listen, you don't serve your purpose. We don't need you now, and so therefore, what happens to you happens to you. Uh, there is no current call in terms of you know trying to get you out of prison. If you rot in prison, so be it. Uh, you don't serve your purpose. But that's my position, brother Africa, and I close with that. Anyone else yeah, take a side with that? Also, yeah, I'd like to add to that. He's also, I, I concur with Brother Haki, but in addition to this, this man is a flight risk in that he is not only a U.S. citizen, he's a citizen of uh, his uh, uh, place of origin. And the reality of his uh, aggression towards, as Haiki said, aggression towards this mother and daughter whom uh, uh, the people of Atlanta find it shocking. And we are going to have to address the issue of folks that are flight risk, whether you can flee back to Pakistan or wherever, the reality is is that he does have those options. And I think it's great that the court recognized those factors and made sure that uh, he stays in place for this trial. You know, we've seen so many uh, 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 we saw someone who was a financial officer in the District of Columbia, for example, who was supposedly an Oxford graduate and all of these things, but it was all fraudulent. And he had received a large payment. Uh, his contract was, uh, you know, four or five years, and he had this huge payment. And, you know, he was indicted. But before he could be uh, brought to trial and convicted, he had fleed the country. And uh, we definitely don't want to see that happen under these circumstances. And ergo, here's an incarceration. Well, most definitely, the brother said, from my understanding, he said he's not an African, but he definitely gives the African treatment. Brother Harrison Ford. Let this be a lesson. So, right now, what we're going to do right now, we're going to 
pause for the call. We'll take a rubber share culture break, and when we come back, we can make our transition to today's theme, Nigeria, Africa. It's going to be part one of the two five stages. So, Brother Jagon Noel, this is Brother Africa, and you are listening to Africa on the Move. When I dropped the mic, it hit the floor like Thor. That's right. Can't pick it up no more. Don't even try. Y'all know what it is. Y'all know what it was. Y'all know what it shall be. Get smart for the shit start. Before it get dark, before they hit you with the pitchfork, better crib walk, crib this walk. Is real talk, smoke, push, ambush, then we peel off. Niggas still running with the wheels off. Always looking out for the crisscross. I'm a bigger boss than Rick Ross. Always winning, nigga get lost. It's the warlord, bring the voodoo. When I bail through, it's crazy like Bellevue. What they tell you, that leave that boy alone, like home alone. Yeah. Fuck a skull and bone, arrest the president. You got the evidence, that nigga is Russian intelligence. When it rains, it pours. Did you know the new pipe was orange? Boy, you're showing your horns. They trying to replace my halo with thorns. You so basic with your bait sticks. Let's go ape shit in the matrix. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. I took back my eyes and all black tonight. That's right, some niggas gotta sacrifice. Not a criminal. No, I'm a seminal. Yeah. I was free once. Now I'm clinical. You so technical. This was Mexico. Now everywhere I go is owned by Mexico. Fuck them. Fuck them and the rest of you. Yeah. I turn a fool to a backpopper. I'm a roll with the aliens. Man, fuck these homo sapiens. They don't really want to make friends. All they want is a Mercedes Benz. All they want is they dividends and decibels. Fuck these citizens. They'll treat us like hooligans. Throw him in. They don't care what school he in. These people don't play fair. It ain't even fair at the state fair. Give a young nigga gray hair. That's why I'm here. Make your ass lay there. You better stay there. Close your fucking eyes like a daycare. Make myself clearer than Shakespeare. I'm here to take money, even fake hair. So desperate is what I'm left with. For the record, you affected. Who you elected is so septic, so full of shit. I can't accept it. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. I reside on the west side. I murder with my third eye. Nigga so fly, get a bird's eye. I make them scream bloody murder. Let's meet at the White House. Run in and turn the lights out. Man, they treat it like a trap house. These motherfuckers never take the trash out. They just cash out and mash out. Nigga, take your drugs and pass out. Niggas love to go that fast route. I see you when your black ass get out. Homie, you play too much. Why these devils, they doing way too much. Most of them won't say too much. Why they steady planning? God knows what. That's why I roll with the real ones. Real ones, trying to reach millions. Real 
that's an interesting song. If you had a rocket launcher, what would you do with it today? Welcome back to Africa on the Moon. We're going to tell you things tonight, part one of the two-part series, Nigeria and Africa. We invite you to call in and share your views and your perspectives. And to discuss this topic, and you can do that by dialing 313-623-679-0841. So that was an interesting article that came out of Mini Press News titled Niger. Nigeria is shaping up to be the surprising front line of a new Cold War yesterday. The 15-member Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, that's the theme, and it gives different scenarios and possibilities or the implication of what may happen between this phenomenon that's taking place now around Nigeria and its impact on Africa, African people, and the world. What we would like to do for the next 15, 20 minutes or so from our political panelists and analysts is just to get their perspective on maybe some of the issues of course that were brought out in this article that should be um, a concern to all people who have an interest in what's going on in that region. So at this point in time, I will open up to Brother Haki. The article raised many issues. Brother Haki, what points of interest stood out to you the most? that people need to be well as relates to this article and other information that you may have on the subject matter. The mic is yours. Can you hear me, Brother Haki? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Can you hear me? Yes, yeah, we can. Uh, essentially, yeah, yeah, essentially, uh, the article talks about the fact that uh, or it, 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 it's, it implies uh, that ECOWAS is, in fact, in effect, an agent, an agent you know, of the West in terms of promoting imperialism on the African continent. It's a very interesting analysis, and to some extent, it's hard to refute. Uh, you've got to agree there's something fundamentally wrong in terms of, in terms of ECOWAS policy as related to Nigeria. Uh, so when we talk about a situation that currently exists where ECOWAS is imposing a no-fly zone, uh, freezing the Nigeria's national assets, and suspension of electricity, all of these strategies are geared toward impoverishing or crippling or hurting the masses of people. It seems to me if ECOWAS is really concerned in terms of the overall well-being of Nigerian, Nigerian people, Nigerian people, then clearly, you know, these strategies are doing the exact opposite. So you got to ask yourself, wonder, so who interest does it serve to actually hurt or cripple the masses of Nigerians, you know, there in Nigeria. Uh, so I guess what Paul's for wonder. Also, I think that one of the things that when we talk about ECOWAS, you know, we've we got to be very, very clear, you know, uh, since 1999, according to the article, the, the ECOWAS intervened in seven uh, African states. And all this intervention has never been in terms of the interests of African states. It's always been the interest of the West. Uh, in fact, one of the things that is a recent uh, um, <clears throat> There's a recent um, proclamation from the, from the State Department which, which congratulated ECOWAS for, for promoting uh, defense of democracy and stability. 
So when you think about democracy and stability, one of the things we, in terms of democracy is, is, a, is, a, is a concept. Uh, certainly the greatest good for the greatest number of people is democratic. So when you look at the situation in terms of, uh, in terms of, in terms of Africa, in particular when you talk about Nigeria, when you talk about the, the, the disproportionate amount of poverty that the people are confronted with, when you talk about low commodity prices for their commodities, when you talk about in terms of you know, undermining their infrastructure, when you talk about these horrible things, then certainly uh, democracy is, is not something that exists. So with the emergence of this of this military of these military individuals, the possibility in terms of actually enacting democracy actually increases; it doesn't decrease. And so, therefore, uh, in terms of democracy in the truest sense, uh, the removing of that corrupt uh, uh, president uh, Bazoum was a very good thing. And of course, we talk about stability, and we understand clearly, you know, that there's nothing that's that's that's, that's stabilizing. You know, when you impose no-fly zones, freezing people's national assets. Or suspension of electricity. So clearly, that has something to do with stability. So clearly, uh, uh, ECOWAS' interest lies with the West and not with the continent of Africa. Now, when we talk about you know ECOWAS' commitment to imperialism, uh, you know you know it's very hard to refute because one, uh, I'll just a few examples. One of the things is that you know President Qatara of Cote d'Ivoire he violated the Constitution and ran on the, for a third term despite despite constitutional objections. Also, he brutally repressed opposition. And so given that reality, you would think that ECOWAS would be concerned and you would have some, some type of sanctions or possible intervention to address that issue. It didn't happen. So the question becomes, why didn't ECOWAS intervene? Why didn't it intervene? Because it simply wasn't in the interest of the West for ECOWAS to intervene. Also, President Marcosile of Senegal, uh, he banned opposition party and then imprisoned the leader. And clearly, this is a violation of the Constitution. Certainly, this violation of ECOWAS Constitution. But despite that that violation of the Constitution, uh, ECOWAS did not intervene nor sanction uh, Senegal, you know, for banning opposition parties and actually imprisoning, you know, political leaders, you know, for political reasons. Uh, so clearly, you know, uh, again, uh, ECOWAS motivation has less to do in terms of what is the good interest of Africa, but more to, more to do with the interest of what's good for the West. And finally, the military leader, um, Damibi, Namiba, uh, out of Burkina Faso, he took power militarily. And, and interestingly enough, ECOWAS did not sanction nor hint at military intervention in Burkina Faso. And the question is, if they're so committed in terms of stability, then why didn't they intervene? Well, again, they didn't intervene simply because it wasn't in the interest of, it wasn't interest of Western states to intervene. As a consequence, they did not intervene. And now, just to give you just to wrap this all up, just to give you some sense in terms of the level of uh, the level of um, support uh, 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 ECOWAS uh, shares, uh, you know, with the West, uh, there have been four states that have been uh, have been uh, removed from the ECOWAS membership, and they were removed precisely because they they, they they advocated too strongly for real democracy in Africa and the anti-imperialism in Africa. Those countries, Mali, Burkina Faso, Guinea, and Nigeria, uh, were all removed from the from the roles of ECOWAS membership, and, and exactly because they refused to kowtow to Western interests. So when so when this report talks about ECOWAS is, is in fact uh, a, um, a, 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 a a somewhat a, 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 a useful tool for Western imperialism, it's pretty hard to disagree with that that sentiment because clearly. ECOWAS doesn't serve the interests of Africa, but it does serve the interests of the West. And with that, Brother Africa, I will close. Thank you, Brother Hakeem. Sister Eleanor, 
your takes on this article. Can you hear me, Sister Eleanor? Unmute your mic if you can. While I wait for Sister Eleanor, Brother Moses, give me your takes on this article. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting article. Uh, I think it, the arguments uh, are well, well, well uh, put by Brother Haki. I mean, I, I think I, I defer to him in, on this subject. Uh, um, um, the, what I did read the article, though, is, is that they seem to be definitely uh, sanctioning and, and carrying out Western interests, uh, just like they do with Cuba and Zimbabwe and or so many other um, Marxist and leftist governments, and uh, and so you know, I understand you know that, that the West hates Marxism. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Moses. Let's see if we can get Eleanor back in in the loop. Are you there, Sister Eleanor? Yeah, it appears that. Uh... Ikawa is directly connected or part of the corrupt uh, Western Bloc. And uh, we could see that with uh, what happened in Gambia in 2017. And uh, uh, this is an operational decision that will be taken by the heads of state. Now, uh, I think it was Abdullah Fatu Musa, the group commissioner for political action, peace, and security. Now, what, what these terms even are reflective of the West. And I think it's... Uh, great that uh, finally the the West African nations, the people of Niger, are standing up against Ikawa and that uh, the alliance that enshrines Ikawa and the African Union principles of zero tolerance for un- unconstitutional change reads as a U.S. State Department press release. Um, it really is true, and uh, uh, it is very interesting and uh, deeming that the coup uh, uh, completely illegitimate, that French coup in uh in in the Gambia also said that it uh, supports uh, with firmness and determination the efforts of ECOWA to defeat uh, any attempts uh, to overthrow the coup d'etat and that uh, the EU also associated itself with Ikawa, and I thought that was that was rather interesting. When uh, you see the the European powers, the Euro, uh, European Union's high representative for foreign affairs, 
speaking, uh, speaking, weighing in, and I think they call it green lighting and intervention. Uh, the U.S. is acting Deputy Secretary uh, Victoria Newland also strongly hinted that the United States is, is considering invading Niger itself. It is not our desire to, uh, you know, for us as African people, uh, we will not tolerate this and hopefully the uh, Cote d'Ivoire uh, President uh, uh, Tara of Cote d'Ivoire, for example, uh, violated the country's uh, term limit, as uh, Aki said, uh, um, uh, and, and was and it was controversial. But he was sworn in for a third term last year, and and the U.S. and the EU is calling this democracy, and the people themselves protested against his power grab, but they were quickly the press. Meanwhile, uh, President Macky Sall government was banned, has banned the main opposition party and imprisoned its leaders. So we see that this uh, neo-colonialism is having a real shakeup in West Africa and Ikawa uh, needs to go, and all Euro soldiers need to be out of Africa. Um, Paul Henry San Diego um, seized power in Burkina Faso in 2022, and uh, it just seems to be a power grab. And as Brother African, Brother Haiki said, this is not by accident. These people are funded by the West and well financed their actions. And uh, this is uh, not not by accident. And uh, uh, I believe it's uh, uh, a Mamadou uh, is so full. I may be butchering this guy's name. I S S O U F O U was also a staunch, staunch ally of the West. So this seems to be a Western alignment, and it was really—it's really a fascinating article that uh, we could see such deep-rooted military and imperialism in West Africa with Oxfam back in 2013 and having such deep roots, I mean, going back so far. And uh, France's prosperity is built, seems to be built upon Africa's suffering and and vice versa. And uh, this this is uh, this is really something, and I'll leave it at that. At that and and the situation in Mali, 
in 2020 and uh, uh, Burkina Faso in 2022 and Guinea in 2021. And when I think of Guinea, all I can think of is think back to Ahmed Sekou Toure, you know, the first liberator of Africa. And now we have these neo-colonialist implants uh, throughout West Africa. It is, uh, it is really outrageous. And uh, the U.S. claims that Russia is the problem in Africa. Not so. It's the EU, the U.S., Great Britain, and there are other players. You know, there are other players. We cannot ignore the influence that both India has and uh, the Islamic terrorists and this Islamic terrorism arose from NATO in 2011. So uh, with the destruction of Libya and... uh, 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 Niger also, as we know, shares the border with uh, Libya as well as Mali. So uh, there's some serious problems. The coups uh, uh, widespread support is inside the the countries themselves. The economists earlier this week found that 73% of Niger's um, Niger, that want a military junta to remain in power with only 27% wishing for uh, Bazoum's uh, return. Now, we know that's not true. That's just propaganda news. And um, uh, that's it. I'll leave that right now. And I think someone else can play in, weigh in on Russia and its role. Uh, but Thank, Africa. You Africa. Thank you, Susan. Yes, I do. You know, let me just weigh in real quickly because, you know, one of the things that when we, you know, in our struggle, you know, to bring about, you know, fundamental fairness, you know, in the, you know, throughout the world, one of the things we cannot discount is the role that these neocolonial agents play in terms of the continuation of the subjugation, the, uh, the oppression of, of the African continent. Uh, recently, a Nigerian uh, uh, politician said that. Uh, that colonialism no longer exists in, in no longer exists in Africa. Well, in order for him to say colonialism doesn't exist in America, he has to turn a, turn, his, turn a blind eye to all the things that are happening in the continent. I suspect his real motivation was that he's saying that, well, listen, as long as the upper class get what they want, uh, the exportation of, of the, of the state of the Nigerian state is really inconsequential because we don't care because we're getting, we getting a piece of the pie and that's all that matters. So I think to some level, I think that class analysis plays a big part in terms of willingness to be dupes, you know, for the West. I think when this president, Basum, out of uh, Nigeria, this former president out of Nigeria, I think when he appears to the West about to, to support him, 
in terms of overturning the so-called military junta uh, because they undermine democracy and justice. Um, when he makes such a statement, when he makes such appeals to the West, he's literally saying that my obligation, my responsibility doesn't rely with democracy to the extent that it incorporates the interests of the mass of people here in Nigeria. My obligation is to me and to my little small cadre of individuals in terms of reaping the benefits in terms of playing ball with the West. So this fundamental mindset among African leaders, corruption that's just so so prominent among so many African leaders, has to come to an end. I think one of the things Kwame Ture used to say that uh, the African bourgeoisie is the most corrupt in the world. You got more Mercedes Benz in Africa than any continent on the planet. And when you think about the magnitude of, of, of poverty on the continent, and you think about people driving around in Mercedes Benz and, and, and you know surrounded by this kind of poverty. It speaks to it speaks to this, this this class dynamic in terms of this inability to, to to empathize to see that fundamentally the system that you uphold is doing major destruction and damage not only you know to, you know to your country but to the people to your, your countrymen in which you 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 view and see every day. Uh, so clearly, uh, you know this this kind of mindset, uh, this, this 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 class mindset, you know, has to be challenged. And I think, and one of the things, you know, I always allude to the fact that you cannot dismiss that class analysis without incorporating the level of insecurity that exists in a human being. It's that insecurity that exists in a human being that make them that make the, make it make make these kind of uh, a, 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 a kind of uh, injustices inflicted upon people uh, are appropriate. So they don't have a problem in terms of fundamentally inflicting pain on people who are less than. When all the figure that all the think that people are less than, then you got to. Then you then you got to perceive yourself, you know, as as more than based upon any number of uh, uh, esoteric kinds of factors, in particular, you know, in this notion in terms of to be to be um, to be somebody is to have lots of money because and, and money in, in the bank account that makes you somebody. When well, order to incorporate such a belief, then you got to be insecure in the first place to even incorporate such a belief, because the whole point is that you talk about the origin of human beings. Uh, and you, you know, you talk about the commonality of, of humanity. Uh, to make these kind of distinctions, and it only exists to the point that you see yourself as not quite up to par. And I think that's the kind of insecurity that exists in the mind of these African leaders in terms of trying to prove to the West that their chest is equal. When in fact, you don't have to prove anything to the West because you are equal because you're human beings. So I think this kind of mindset has to be has to be it has to be acknowledged, and I think it has to be fought against. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I think that there is there is there's just hope because increasingly more and more African youth will come to the come to the belief that listen, this is you know this is this has to come to an end. It has to come to an end, and increasingly they're becoming more emboldened. And uh, despite the kind of oppression that they have to continue with on a daily basis, they're becoming more emboldened, more committed to the idea of ending, you know, the exploitation of Africa, you know, by Western states. And so clearly, you know, to, to the extent that we can get rid of these kind of corrupt African leaders the more Africa has a chance in terms of true empowerment, truly being a player in terms of the economics of the world and truly taking its rightful place in the historical evolution, you know, of, uh, of uh, you know, of uh, political systems. And with that, Brother Africa, I close. Thank you, Brother Haki. This question is to all the panelists for tonight. This will be our last question on this topic as we uh, will continue it on the 10th. It's two Sundays from now, and next week to our listening audience, we're going to have a special program as Africa to Move will celebrate its 11th year. 
is the 11th year or this is the 11th anniversary. It'll be next Sunday. So we'll have a special program. Please tune in next week at 7 p.m. to have celebrate with us. And then the following Sunday, we'll come back with part two in Nigeria and Africa. But panelists, I'd like each one of y'all who would like to speak to this question, they can be as succinct as possible to describe and discuss what is it about Nigeria independence that will bring harm to France and the West? Brother Hack, you start us off. Well, I, I, I think it, I think it's right, brother brother Africa. I think uh, by and large is is is, is money. Uh, also. Uh, is a threat to the status, you know, of of, of France. I think to the extent that uh, Nigeria is independent and free to make its own economic choices and decisions, I think it's going to have, it's going to compel to France to deal more fairly in terms of economic dealings with Nigeria. And one of the things they they don't want to do is to deal fairly with Nigeria. I mean, for centuries they've been able to essentially rip off Nigeria uh, and West Africa, for all that matter. Uh, you know, uh, and uh, there have been no repercussions from doing so. I think this 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 this, this conditioning. I think this whole process of you know uh, being comfortable with with being in control. I think pretty much manifests itself in terms of the leadership there in France. And so I think in that regard, I think that uh, so this resistance in terms of allowing Nigeria to be free is is an, is an expression of uh, uh, France will understanding that if in fact if Nigeria is free, that the not only will the exploitation come to an end. But some level, on some level, the, the whole question in terms of status also becomes a, 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 a very, very pertinent, pertinent uh, uh, status question. So I think it has a lot to do in terms of, you know, just his, the flow of history in terms of uh, France losing its benefits. And so I think that's a big motivator in terms of ensuring that Nigeria remains under the France, under the thumb of France. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Moses. Why the independence in Nigeria is such a threat to France and the West from your perspective, Brother Moses? Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. Um, my understanding of the situation in, in the country of Nigeria is, is limited. Uh, um, um, but anyway, it seems that they, it, it, would, it would seem that they would have resources that France is, Getting from them, uh, um, and um, the natural resources uh, and labor resources, uh, um, and um, France, France, you know, like Haiti and so many other countries, you know, under their their uh, domination, uh, France exploits. Um, they, they they get they get monetary contributions from these people uh, um, the ones they take and the ones that they force them to give and so you know independence is something you take uh, and uh, you know that's in Haiti or wherever and uh, and so you know once you take it you have to recognize that the opposition is, is not going to die off um, they're going to continue to try to oppress you, to, to, to stunt your growth, to do everything they can to stop to stop you from succeeding. And that's that's what happened in Cuba, Venezuela, 
Nicaragua, wherever the people have risen up uh, uh, from the Soviet Union on, uh, from the Paris Commune on. Um, so we have to have our own program of action, our own political economy, and uh, and and struggle with a plan of action and uh, and rely on our land, on our position, uh, um, and, uh, you know, my bottom line is Jesus is on our side. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And I do agree with you that freedom is something that you have to fight, fight for and take. And once you get it, you must continue to fight for it in order to keep it. Just out of your no response. Why the independence of Nigeria? Well, first of all, uranium, uranium and natural gas, uranium and natural gas. France with this worn out nuclear depends on uranium from Niger as well as natural gas. But there's another thing that's at play here. The um, Everyone doesn't have the same view. Uh, nations, uh, whether it's Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger, do not have the same view of uh, of the Ukraine-Russian situation. So that that's a, a another factor, and you will find that what France is doing and and the United States is forcing Mali. Burkina Faso and uh, Niger into a situation of liberation time. That uranium, that natural gas, is not not for giveaway any anymore. Uranium supplies uh, Algeria. Keep in mind also Algeria has that pipeline that they could have been shipping natural gas into Spain. But the EU, the United States, and uh, Great Britain have their own plans, so they let that fall to the side. So you might find another ally with Algeria. So, you know, they might kick on something, you know, uh, that resembles, as the article said, the Syrian civil war, but but on a grand uh, scale, because just uh, not having any problem operating its nuclear power plants with its natural gas, with its gold, but uh, France is, Europe is. And uranium is what it's about for an aging nuclear power grade. It's more crucial than anything. And um, I think didn't they also recently try to um, they tried to do something with Algiers, Algiers, France, that uh, which. Uh, signed a, nat- a natural gas importation agreement, but it's too little, too late. 
and it's full of complications. And also with this plan of pulling natural gas a pipeline through Niger from Nigeria, this is an incredible conflict. Um, so just think uranium. All right, thank you so much. I don't want to take up too much time, and I, I love um, the other analysts' uh, perspective, but this is about resources. This is about energy. This is about having light. This is about electricity. This is about being able to operate your economy and maintaining the European status quo. Oh, brother, uh, brother, uh, brother, brother Africa, real quickly. Yes, Brother Aki. Yeah, uh, I think Sister Eleanor was alluding to um, uh, France wanted to use Algeria's airspace. Uh, but uh, fortunately, uh, the brothers and sisters, you know, the, the uh, political leadership didn't forget the bet of Algiers. They know how many people were killed by France, and they, they weren't willing to play ball. They said, no, 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 we're not going to be a neocolonial agent. We're not going to use our, 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 our territories to launch strikes against our, our brothers in Nigeria. We're not going for that. So France has made, I mean, That's they just right. don't know what to do with themselves. So they're trying to, so France now is trying to create a way in terms of not only to punish Nigeria, but punish, punish, not only punish Nigeria, but to punish Algeria as well because of their insolence. I mean, they're, you know, their they're willingness to stand up and take a principal stand and say, no, 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 you won't use us. We won't be a part of that. No, no, you cannot use our airspace. So France is very much perturbed by that, and, uh, and I certainly hope that the the, 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 the individuals that hit Ecowas would take note of what Algeria did and not be pawns for the West and and, and, and allow Nigeria, Nigeria to make its own political decisions. But having said that, I conclude. And I also want to add something. You know, um, I want to add something. As you know, uh, the e- EU has been moving all of these European troops into Algiers as, as they were in Libya, and they're making us trying to make the world believe that it's to aid the environmental refugees. Well, no, it's not. It's about self-gain and, and wealth. And again, as I said, that even if they were to gain airspace in Algiers, it's not going to work because Mali, Burkina Faso, and Niger are standing strong against it. And remember, everyone, even though the propaganda makes it look like this uh, Ukrainian uh, conflict is... uh, uh, a political conflict and liberation conflict is not. It's a Russian conflict and a, a, a goal to marginalize Russia. And Zelensky and the oligarchs are ready, you know, to to do anything and say anything to confuse the world and create this new world order. But not everyone is going for that. And that includes not only our brothers and sisters in Africa, like Mali, Burkina Faso, and uh, Algiers, but also in Asia. 
and their other players now. And this could kick off, I'm serious, this could kick off a serious, serious situation uh, that really does resemble something that the imperialist has had going on in the Near East for decades, you know. And uh, the world's not ready for another Yemen. It's not ready to see Saudis mowing down Ethiopians. Uh, People don't understand what the African Union is doing while these uh, people are having these environmental refugees are being forced to leave their country, to leave their countries. And they are the miners of the uranium. And they can't afford water. They can't afford basic life necessities, health care, lights, electricity. And France and Germany, they can. And keep in mind, as quiet as it's kept, Portugal and Spain aren't that strongly aligned with the EU. And there had to be an incredible amount of compromises to get Greece on board. But now Greece is in an environmental nightmare. So, you know, things aren't so cut and dry. And this new world order looked like it was moving forward. But it's a very fragile situation. And I think we're going to see in the next year a big crack in this new world order. Russia is not the enemy of the people. People forget that the Russians were the people that fought back the Nazis. It wasn't the U.S. All right, sister, I don't know. We're going to have to cut you right now. We're going to continue this discussion on the 10th. And we're going to remind our listening audience that next week we'll be doing a special program as we celebrate another anniversary of being on air. So please join in at 7 p.m. And at this point in time, we're going to take a quick uh, culture break. And when we come back, we can have our final thoughts on part one, Nigeria, Africa. This is Brother Africa, and you are listening to Africa on the Move. We'll be right back. Don't you go nowhere.
like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon with Brother Africa. And at this point in time, we want to close you for today's program, Part 1 in Nigeria and Africa. And we have the panel and who stood in their seats and they took the heat. And they be finding and still behind it. And now we'll give us our final thoughts for tonight. And we'll start off with Brother Moses. We'll find the thoughts for tonight, Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. Um, I think it's been a wonderful evening. Uh, I've, I've taken in a good, good piece of information, especially around Africa and uh, and Nigeria and the struggle and uh, the historical experience and the struggle. And uh, uh, certainly that's, that's been good and uh, productive. And um, education forever, education forever. I, I believe that... Uh, that we can continue to learn and uh, change the world, create the world that that uh, we want to see. And um, it's a struggle, but we have to do it. We have to wage it. And uh, I see evidence of success every day, and that's why I'm so optimistic. And I think the future is bright. And... and um, I thank you for allowing me to be on the show once again. Thank you. And like always, Dr. Moses, Moses, we thank you for your contribution to our weekly program. Next, we make our transition to Sister Eleanor. Your final thoughts for tonight, Sister Eleanor. Yeah, um, you know, we want to go back, and I mentioned often the CFA that, you know, France linked to it. Frank in 1945 and later to the EU and uh, to that EU money and uh, it's in use in 14 African countries and this is going to be a big shake up with the BRICS also with uh, uh, the situation in Senegal. Senegal's not laying down you know uh, it stood with Palestine, even though Israel pulled out that week on the clean water contract it had with Senegal. And not everybody's a petty neo-colonialist. So the big thing is that, that again, at natural gas, those natural resources, they're not going for the CFA anymore. They're using market currency. And if the U.S. doesn't want them to use dollars, don't worry. The brick's on the rise. And don't forget that there's also a new coalition in the global south. So we, we, we learned a lot today. We know that uh, this uh, uh, E-C-O-W-A-S is some neo-colonialist, imperialist setup that finances coups and undermines democracy through Africa. But Africans aren't standing for it any longer. Africa is the continent of young people, and it's about change. The environmental disaster that's happening there People feel it and live with it every day. Famine, drought, 
and they're not standing for it. So Molly's not going to lay down. Nigel's not laying down. Mm-mm. And our dear already knows that during uh, when the Europeans and the U.S. decided to blow up the pipeline between Russia and Europe, they were to use the pipeline moving from Algiers into Western Europe. So Spain's not ignoring it. Spaniards can't afford to buy land in Spain. Gentrification has hit Spain. So it ain't only hitting Baltimore. It's hitting Spain. So people are thinking about a new world economy just not the imperialists thinking about their new world order. So thank you so much. And um, I think that Niger doesn't want to use its uranium as much as it would like to use wind and solar energy. It's just not giving it away to Europe anymore. Thank you. Good night. Thank you, sir. Good night, and thank you, Sister Eleanor, for your contributions to today's program. And we now have Brother Haki for his final thoughts. Brother Haki. Yeah. Well, you know, Sister Eleanor uh, coined the term New World Order. I think it's apropos. I think it's important that people understand that when you talk about New World Order, this is no exaggeration. This is stuff that's taking place. They're strategizing all the time. And we can ill afford to take things, you know, for granted. But certainly one of the challenges in terms when we talk about this new world order is the question around housing. And the housing, you know, often, you know, in the context of capitalism becomes a struggle between life and death. Uh, it's been estimated that on average 647,000 people per night are deemed homeless. But this number is somewhat deceptive. In fact, as of the year 2022, 56% of the adults live uh, their family members, those between 18 and 24. 16% of those adults living with family members between 35, 25, 25 to 34 years of age. Now, collectively, what we're saying is that over 17 million adults between the ages of 18 and 24 live with family members. And, and between the ages of 25 to 34, 6.4 million people live with their family. That total over 23 million people. Now, now this, this problem is growing, but you know what? Interestingly enough, if we incorporate the number of children, you know, uh, who belong to these homeless adults versus the, the number of, of those people facing, currently facing eviction in America, and, the wage, and, and we also incorporate uh, wages, uh, the kind of wages making it impossible to rent, to rent. conceivably we approach a situation where we're talking about nearly half of the U.S. population uh, conceivably could end up homeless. And that's, that's unfortunate. But certainly it makes sense when you talk think about, you know, the credit rating agencies uh, reducing the U.S. credit rating because with this kind of debt, that's in a way conceivable in terms of the U.S. being, actual, being, a, viable, uh, being a viable economic power because these numbers simply won't account for that, and that's the cold reality of it all. But, you know, when I talk about, you know, the struggle of life and death around the question of homelessness, you know, often people find themselves, you know, in desperate situations. Recently, um, a uh, 63-year-old by the name of William Hodgson out of Pittsburgh was involved in a firefight with police. Now, apparently, Mr. Hudson was under the belief he was in possession of his brother's house. But because apparently there was no 
no, 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 uh, no, uh, there was no, um, de- uh, what did you call it, um, when you, when you stipulate a will, there was no will that was stipulated that, in fact, the house should go to the brother. Now, they only had like $25,000 left on the house to pay it off. And so, unfortunately, the brother didn't realize, you know, that in terms of, you know, in terms of legality in the context of capitalism, there's no question, there's no concern, or there's no possibility in terms of fairness. Because there's no possibility of fairness, it didn't matter the fact that he was a brother and that, you know, the brother had apparently told him that in, in the event of his demise that the brother was assume ownership of the house. In the in con- in context of capitalism, it doesn't work that way. And as a consequence, that house was sold right from, right from beneath him and, uh, in the, and, you know, at an auction in which it was sold for a fraction of, of, of the cost. And so as a, as a result of that frustration, um, you know, Mr. Hardison was involved in his firefight, you know, with the police. Ultimately, he was, he was killed. Now, his, and also, you know, one of the problems in terms of that Mr. Hardison was facing with, you know, with a felony record in America, it's very difficult to find renting uh, or, or living in certain areas because by law, uh, a, a, a felony conviction or even a misdemeanor conviction disqualifies you from housing. And that is absurd, but nonetheless, that is the law of the land. Now, for those who don't think that homelessness is an issue, I, I just want to give, the, give out this warning, and I want people to heed it very, very closely, and this is very, very closely. Recently, the Treasury Department reported that the U.S. debt increased, to, this is between August 16th to August 22, of, August 22. One week, U.S. debt increased by $98 billion. $98 billion. Think about that for a moment, in, in one week. If U.S. If U.S. debt continues to increase, the bottom line is that the government is strained for revenues. Well, the only way you can get that revenue is from poor people. It's not going to get revenues from rich people. It's get it from poor people, which means the availability of houses become less, the prices of housing become more, which means you essentially lock out people from the possibility of even having shelter. And this is a very real threat when we talk about the new world order in terms of disposability of people in the society. And this is no exaggeration when we say that, you know, if we talk about this increase in terms of homelessness in society, that this is a potential threat that has the possibility of infecting at least half of the population. And if you don't think statistically the likelihood that it's going to impact you, then you really don't understand the seriousness of the situation in terms of homelessness in society. We must have those organizations. And when we talk about inflation, you know, and increased interest rates impact on homelessness, it's very, very true. But we also understand that those positions of power, those capitalists understand that the rules of the game is to accumulate as much capital as possible. Their concern is not with the rank and file. It's not with the concerns of the masses of people. They don't give a damn if, you, if you're white, African, Asian, Latin. They don't care. Their, their interest is to pursue as much wealth as they possibly, possibly can. So in that context, as the cost of assets continue to go up, up, and up, and up, they will continue to benefit even though – they won't be able to acquire as much as they normally would, but still they will benefit. And this is fundamentally we have to understand, you know, why houses as an asset are out of the reach of most people in the society. we got some real problems here, and we must wake up to reality in terms of how capitalism works, because if we don't, one day we can wake up wondering what the hell is, what the hell happened. In any event, Brother Africa, as always, I encourage people to unravel the matrix. Uh, the changes in the society uh, must be understood. Uh, we can ill afford to, to turn a blind eye to those changes and to think that those changes don't have an, 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 a, a, a permanent impact on the lives of, 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 of people, particularly working people in the society. 
we have to understand that for every change that takes place in society, there must be some concerted effort at resistance. Without concerted effort at resistance, one thing is clear. These capitalist forces will win, which means they win at the detriment of the, of the, of the masses of people in the society. Having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. And you do the same, Brother Hockey, and thank you as well for your contributions to today's program, as well as to our listening audience and supporters. We'd like to remind everyone that next week we'll be holding a special program as we celebrate our 11th anniversary of being on the airwaves. Also, we remind everyone that if you live in the Virginia metropolitan area, Richmond, Virginia metropolitan area, please check out um, these live TV shows that come from the banner of the African Women's Association, Africa Speaks, on Channel 36 is the Rising Cable Company and Channel 95 Podcast on the weekends, on Friday, Saturday, and Sundays at 1 a.m. in the morning. Um, so on that note, we'd like to thank everyone again for joining us. Please tune in next week for our special program, our celebration. And like always, let's continue to try to strive to go forward ever and after another. And let everyone know, let everyone know that Africa is on the move. We'll see you next week. This is Brother Africa. We're signing off on the first segment of Nigeria and Africa. Black man, go on and get a catch scan. I had same rap too straight, too tight. We get a backhand, there ain't no Batman in this black land. I wish a rich nigga would come and save the day and pave the way. Ain't no amazing grace. I blaze the haze to remain the faith. Twenty years with my medicine, but they wanna throw me away for that. Then turn around and legalize it. I wish being black was truly accepted. Four hundred year elephant in the room. This ain't a new deal. They've been treating us like animals. We in a zoo still. So let me tell you how I feel. Guilty. Conscious trumps common sense every day, y'all. Ignore the issues, look at the victim like it's their fault. As if a wagon ain't harassing, waiting for jaywalkers in front of the building, minding your business. You was trying to pay your bills as if that wasn't to mention. Conjunction, junction, tell me what's your intention. Don't call him king, then treat him like some common folk. You a fighter like Ronda Rose. Rousey move around the rope. Drowsy with a cloud of smoke. How'd he do for Maui, bro? Traveling around the globe, you didn't know, but now you know. Early morning rise since my end of a long kick in. Birdman hand rubs, feeling my palms itching. I need a spiritual thought with top that's top notch. We watch black power docs and study our chakras. Ooh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. And we gon' cop a ticket and fly on out of here, fly on out. Ooh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. 
Never 
Mama, mama, 